Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We've come to worship you, to enter your presence. As we read from this psalm, to acknowledge who you are, to be reminded of the ways you've worked in our lives and in the world, and to respond to you accordingly. To give you our praise and our adoration and our confession and our worship. And now as we come to you to hear more about the story of your son, Father, may you speak to us and may your son's story become alive in our lives. Alive in our lives. I ask that you would be with us and speak to us and may we respond today. We ask this Lord in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Today is, as I said, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And Epiphany is the time in the calendar, in the lectionary, in the, the Christian year, whatever you want to call it, when we begin to learn more about Jesus. Advent, we learned and wondered and waited about the need for him to come. And then Christmas, we celebrated the birth of this miraculous child. But now we get to Epiphany and we have to ask ourselves, well, what is this child about? What is he supposed to do? Why is it that he changes the world? Why is it that when his birth comes, that the way that we even talk about years is different? What about him is so unique? And that's the question we have to ask today. Because this is what we need to acknowledge and realize. We have in this book four different accounts of Jesus' life. And yes, there is overlap, there's connections, there is probably common stories that every one of the gospel authors knew and drew from as they compiled their unique story of Jesus' life. But regardless, we have these, and we have four of them. And we have other situations outside of the, these texts that call us to, to wonder, well, what is this Jesus about? And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, well, who did he show us to be? And if he showed himself to be that, can we trust that? Now, we don't get to answer all those questions today, but that's the journey that we're on. That's the story that we tell, that we then work out in our lives. And today, we get to continue to learn more about who Jesus shows himself to be after his baptism. So if you're gonna take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter one, we're gonna be in verses 29 through 42 of John chapter 1. So if you're on the Pew Bible, uh, that starts in page 1510. So John chapter 1 verse 29. And as we're looking at this, what we're going to see is that what is most clearly proclaimed throughout is that Jesus came to save. Last week we asked, well, okay, He's somehow identified as important. His identity is marked as important and his mission is important. But we don't know what those are. Well, now we begin to understand that his identity and his mission are connected to this idea that Jesus came to save. So let's take a look together at these passages from John chapter 1. Verse 29. So this is where it starts in John chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he, has, he was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So last week we read from Matthew's gospel, not John's. But last week what we saw was this moment when Jesus gets baptized. And now in John's gospel, John, when he writes about John the Baptist, he just gives us more information. He has some of these other stories from John that he includes. And what he says is a couple important details. So the next day, so after Jesus' baptism, the next day, he's walking, probably in the camp area, because remember, so John is in the wilderness. So if Jesus goes out there, odds are he's there for a couple days. Now, if you've seen The Chosen, you kind of have seen a way this could have worked, where even some of Jesus' followers were with John. And um, I know there's another series we did in Sunday School a while back that focused on different characters and John the Baptist. And in that series, they talked about how Jesus maybe spent quite a bit of time with John and learned from John. And then all of a sudden, he becomes the one who John is talking about. And there's this switch. And this is a switch we see. And remember, John and Jesus were actually cousins. So they probably knew each other for a long time. But all of a sudden, John says, look, I knew I was supposed to prepare the way for someone, but I didn't know who it was. But now I can tell you that this man, Jesus, is the Lamb of God. So that's the important thing first that he says about Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And then he says, this is the one who I said would come after me, but that would actually surpass me. And a different way that he says that is the one who's after me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Whenever Jesus wants to be baptized, he says, you should be the one baptizing me. I'm not worthy to be doing this for you. So John is waiting for this individual, and he says, Jesus is it. So we need to ask ourselves, what are these things that John's claiming about Jesus? What is this Lamb of God business? Because I'll be honest, it's not a particularly easy thing to work out. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? And to be honest, when we look into the Israelite mind, as in we try to understand how they thought in the first century based on their scriptures and other passages, other books and, and sources that we have, we're not exactly sure, but there's a couple of things that we think it's connected to. And the first one is connected to this thing from Isaiah 53. So after Isaiah 53, 7, this is what it says. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was laid like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep bore for his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. So Isaiah 53 is a quotation from one of the servant songs we talked about a couple weeks ago. These series of passages in Isaiah that, that the Jewish people began to see as a passages about the servant of God anointed who would come to save them. And this servant is going to do this led like a lamb to slaughter. So that's the one touch point. And the second touch point is the Passover. Now we talked about the Passover today in confirmation a little bit. Now remember, the Passover was from the story of Exodus chapter 12. God is going to deliver the Israelite people from Exodus. And the way he has to do that is through eventually this plague of the firstborns. And so the Israelite people are told, and it's not just the Israelite people, anybody in Egypt who does this, their child is spared or the firstborn is spared. But this lamb is, is uh, sacrificed and the lamb's blood is spread on the doorposts and then the lamb is consumed. And whenever the plague comes, those houses are passed over. And it becomes part of the Israelite understanding that this is how we were delivered from slavery. This lamb that life was given so that we might be spared and we might be saved. 
And the Jewish people sac or celebrate Passover as a way of remembering that story. And now Jesus is identified as the Passover lamb. So what this gives us a clue on is that whatever Jesus' mission is, it is related to him saving. That he is going to come to save. That he's going to rescue God's people. So as we ask about Jesus' mission, we must acknowledge Jesus came to save. He came to save. But there's a second claim that John makes. That Jesus is the one who would come after him, but who was greater than him. Now what is that about? Well, John actually talks more about it in the following verses. Verse 32, he continues. He says, then John gave this testimony. So now John is going to tell everybody what happened when he baptized Jesus. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So now what he's saying is that I was given this mission by God to do this work as a prophet. And part of that was I understood at some point I would encounter somebody who would be the one I was preparing the way for. And he says, this is what I learned about that person. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now John says, the one after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit, but I baptize with water. And so he's making this connection. He's saying, I was told at some point this would happen, and I witnessed it with Jesus. And so he says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John makes this connection to Jesus. He drops this bombshell into the Jewish world. They're all waiting for this chosen one from God, this one talking about throughout the prophets, specifically in Isaiah and other places, someone who would come to rescue them. And all of a sudden, John says, this is it. This is God's chosen one. I came to prepare the way. In Isaiah, there's also prophecies about one preparing the way for God to come back. And then John claims that for himself. And then he says, this is the one I'm preparing the way for. This is the guy. This is the one who you need to pay attention to. So all of a sudden, Jesus has a massive expectation to fulfill. All of a sudden, he is the one everyone is waiting for. The one who's going to come to save God's people. Now, the question we always need to ask is, well, why do we care about this in the 21st century? We need to fill this gap. The Jewish people were living under the Roman Empire, which means that they wanted to be free. For us, imagine you live, we live here in our homes, but instead of having a government that we vote for, and maybe some of us feel about the government this way sometimes, that we don't have any control, but we do in some sense have control. We do vote for the people who represent us, and we do have a representative government. But imagine that there was a foreign government that said, okay, you can live your life like normal, but there's going to be certain rules that we expect. You're going to give us a certain percentage of your money. It's going to be more than we give now. And you're not actually going to be free. You're not going to be able to rule yourselves. You're not going to be able to make any decisions about your own life. As long as you keep us happy, we'll let you do what you want. But as soon as what you want to do becomes a problem, you can't do it anymore. And that was the Jewish world. That was the way that they lived. And they couldn't wait to be free. 
Now, we don't live in that world, but we do live in a world where we're not free. We need to be rescued too. There's things like greed, there's things like lust, there's things like addiction, pride, apathy, disease. We could go on. We often don't even realize it, but we're all sick with something that's got us enslaved. That's got our heart and our attention and our, our minds and our desires. And it's holding us down. It's controlling us. It's trying to tell us how to live and what to do. How to spend our money and how to have our relationships with our families and the people we love. These things are holding on to us. And they're not as easily identifiable as a, as a common enemy like a foreign government. But they still plague all of us. And we need to be rescued. And the good news is that Jesus came to save. He came to rescue us. He came to save us from those things. This is what we must recognize. We need to be rescued just as much as the Jewish people did. We need to wake up, look around, and realize how much we need rescued. And that is the story. The story that we are in rebellion and need rescued. That we need to be saved from ourselves and brought back to the love of God. And that's what John says about Jesus. He is this chosen one who came. So now a couple of John's disciples, all of a sudden, they encounter Jesus the next day. And they're like, we want to know a little bit more about this guy. So this is what happens. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he says again, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and, I will, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of that two who heard about John, or heard what John had said, and he had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ, or the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, looked at Simon, and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. That's just the difference between Aramaic and Greek. Greek, Petros is the word. Aramaic, Cephas is the word. It both means stone. So now we have this final story where a couple of the disciples of John hear about Jesus. They're like, okay, we're going to investigate this guy. And if you've seen The Chosen, there's this scene where Simon's brother comes and says, we found the guy. And Simon doesn't have a lot of time for that, but he eventually goes and he encounters Jesus. Jesus came to save. And this is the part of the story where we need to find ourselves. Just like all of the disciples, just like every person who encountered Jesus in the ancient world. Just like us, we can't just say, you know, that's history. It's a story. I'm going to tell you right here, there's too much here and there's too much in the past to just say that this is a story. We have to deal with it somehow. 
we have to look and say, well, who is this guy, Jesus? Just like, just like those two disciples of John said, okay, we're going to go figure out more about this guy. And they go, and then one of them is convinced that he is the Messiah. So he uses the word. The word that is alluded to with the Lamb of God and the word that's alluded to with the Chosen One. All of a sudden now, uh, or um, Simon's brother, Andrew, all of a sudden Andrew says, you are it. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one who's come to save us in the world. And then he goes and gets his brother and they have to decide, do we believe that this is who Jesus is? And it all is connected to this idea that Jesus came to save. And for all of us, we need to ask ourselves, do we believe this story? Because this is a story that we retell every year. This is a story that we're invited into. This is the story that leads to Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. The story of the one who comes to save. Do we need saved? Do we need to know Jesus? And are we going to respond? So on this second week of Epiphany, we have a little bit more about Jesus to understand. A little bit more to chew on. He is shown to be the one who came to save. Jesus came to save. And now we have to ask ourselves, are we going to at least follow this Jesus long enough through Epiphany to decide if we believe it and if we're going to live differently because of it? That's all we can do. We have to open ourselves and acknowledge maybe it's true that I need to be rescued from something. Maybe I don't even know what it is yet, but I have to open up and be saved. Because the Messiah has arrived. And this is Jesus. And the Messiah's mission is to come and to save. Jesus came to save. So even though we're not first century Jews waiting for a Messiah, we are 21st century Americans who very much live lives that need to be delivered from things. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. And just like Jesus came to rescue the Jewish people, they thought they needed to be saved from Rome. Well, actually, there was something much deeper they needed to be saved from. They needed to be saved from themselves. We need to be saved from ourselves too. We need to be saved and brought back to God. To the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who can show us what it means to live a life of goodness and order and purpose, to live a life of holiness, to live a life that we are made to live. And Jesus alone can get us there because Jesus came to save. So today, as you go home in this week, we got to mull on that. We got to say, do we want to learn more about this Jesus? Because Jesus came to save. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. We hear this story about your son and how these people in the first century all of a sudden were, were presented with this challenge. Are they going to believe their, this man who was teaching them, John the Baptist, are they going to investigate the person that he claims is the chosen one of God? Are they going to take that risk and take that step and investigate for themselves? 
Are they going to potentially enter into this world of the unknown? Where they don't know what it'll mean for them if they choose to follow this person. Lord, may that be still the choice that all of us make. We come here to worship your son on a weekly basis. We say that he is our Lord and our Savior. But may we follow him because he leads us to salvation. He wants to rescue us from our rebellion and take us back to you, back to the world of the garden and paradise and harmony and purpose where we can become whole again, where death has been defeated and where you live and reign forever. And Lord, may that be the desire that we strive to live and find and the story that becomes our story. We ask this Lord in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.